Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Good morning. Welcome to the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Glad you are here. A lot of things to talk about during the course of the broadcast. Hope you had a great weekend. I had, I can't believe I'm saying this, kind of an extraordinary weekend, which is really saying a lot for me. I don't know how much I'll say about this coming up the next hour, but maybe I will. We will see. A lot of things, as I mentioned, to discuss. We have interesting developments in our hemisphere. I don't know how many of you have observed that so many people who are south of us are experiencing so many difficult things. And when I say this, I'm talking about the onslaught of socialism which is one of the reasons why so many of these people are flocking to the United States, because many of these places are economic disaster areas. What's kind of interesting, the results of one particular election, and we will talk about that coming up in just a few minutes. This is raising a lot of eyebrows. Ongoing concerns about what is taking place with terrorist threats around the world. As you know, if you follow what Hamas has been communicating for many years, Hezbollah, these groups, they're not just anti-Israel. They're anti-American. And you will hear one congressman express his concerns about the level of threat against the United States of America. It was a matter of time, and I think I mentioned this some days ago. Rosalind Carter went into hospice care some days ago and I think I had mentioned that it was very likely we would lose one if not both of them in a matter of days and it turns out Rosalind was the first to pass away we will talk about her and an extraordinary story done back in 2019 about the length of their marriage this to me I don't care what you think about politics we, we all can agree Jimmy Carter was one of the worst presidents in history. But can you take anything away from the faithfulness of two people being married for the length of time that they were? We'll tell you how significant that is in terms of years. It's mind-boggling. On the migrant subject, we've got quite a significant development happening in our largest city in the country. And we'll talk about the economic impact, how bad it is. It's a really big deal. Also, some new polling information out. And another person's name has been added to the list of people who apparently can beat Joe Biden. We'll tell you about that polling information coming up. I want to begin by talking about a life impacting others in death in fact I'm just thinking about this now there's a scripture in John John 12 24 this is the ESV truly truly I say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies It bears much fruit. This is one of those stories about blessing provided to others as the result of someone's death. Of course, we all mourn 
loss, when death occurs. But it's wonderful to see something good that develops from tragedy. Axios has this story. In death, one cancer patient helps to erase millions. That's millions in medical debt. A New York City woman who died Sunday from cancer has raised enough money to erase millions of dollars in medical debt with a posthumous plea for help. Casey McIntyre told followers in a social media message posted by her husband that she had arranged to buy the medical debt of others as a way of celebrating her life. (sighs) Isn't this wonderful? McIntyre wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter, If you're reading this, I've passed away. I loved each and every one of you with my whole heart, and I promise you I knew how deeply I was loved. By the way, this 38-year-old woman is the cancer patient who passed away. 38. The post included a link to a fundraising campaign started through the nonprofit RIP Medical Debt. McIntyre's husband, Andrew Rose Gregory, posted the messages on Tuesday. The campaign quickly blew past its $20,000 goal. It raised about $140,000 by Friday afternoon, or enough to buy around $14 million in medical debt. Gregory said his wife had good health insurance, received great care, at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, even so the couple saw some terrifying charges on paperwork for her care. And and I've done this. How many times have you done this? You see your bill and you think to yourself, how in the world would I have covered this cost without insurance? Well, this is what this couple was thinking. What resonated for me and Casey is, you know, there's good cancer treatment out there that people can't afford. Instead of dreaming of a cure for cancer, what if we could just help people who are being crushed by medical debt? Patients in the U.S. healthcare system can quickly rack up big bills that push them into debt, even if they have insurance. This is especially true for people who wind up hospitalized or need regular care or prescriptions for chronic health problems. A 2022 analysis of government data from the nonprofit KFF estimates nearly 1 in 10 U.S. adults owe at least $250 in medical debt. That total of roughly 23 million people includes 11 million who owe more than 2000 RIP Medical Debt erases debt purchases from hospitals, other health care providers, and the secondary debt market. It buys millions of dollars of debt in bundles for what it says is a fraction of the original value. It, to give you some sense of this, you're probably thinking, wait a second, $14 million, $140,000, how do, how do we get there? Well, they were able to buy this debt for pennies on the dollar. And it's essentially liberating who knows how many people in the process. The nonprofit says every dollar donated buys about $100 in debt. That's a pretty good value. It aims to help people with lower incomes. Spokesman Daniel Limpard said the organization has never had a campaign where someone plans for it to start after their death. This is what's so cool about this. Here's a woman thinking ahead about other people. She's dying. McIntyre, who is a book publisher, started treatment for ovarian cancer back in 2019. She spent about three months in the hospital over the past year. The family photo shows Casey McIntyre with her husband, Andrew Rose Gregory, less than a week after her death from cancer. November 12th, Sunday, November 12th. The Brooklyn couple started planning for her memorial and the debt buying campaign after she almost died in May. They were inspired by a video they saw of I want you to listen to this because remember I told you how actions that we take have an impression on other people we inspire other people by some of the things we do this is the kicker to the story 
They were inspired by a video they saw of North Carolina churchgoers burning about $3 million in medical debt. McIntyre spent the last five months at home hospice care, giving her what Gregory calls a bonus summer. She went on beach trips and spent time with her family, including the couple's 18-month-old daughter, Grace. Can you imagine how heartbreaking this has to be to leave behind a daughter so young? Gregory said Casey was very, very sick at the end of her life. She couldn't finish everything she wanted to finish, but I knew she wanted to do this memorial and debt jubilee. So I set that up, did it the way I thought she would have wanted. And you better believe she would be incredibly blessed to see the lives that will be impacted as a result of what she has asked for. Those wishes fulfilled. Much more as we continue the Vince Coakley radio program on this Monday. If you'd like to join the conversation, our phone number is 7045 7010. Still to come, more possible good news. This time out of the Middle East, we may see a prisoner exchange. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We're back on the Vince Coakley Radio Program, our Monday broadcast. You know, it's interesting to see change. You know, one of the things that happens in our world, we've got these cyclical things that happen. I mean, we see it in this country. You have a Democrat administration for four years, and people get tired of the Democrats, then they vote in a Republican. You know, it goes back and forth. In so many of these Latin American countries, especially, uh, at least my perception, in so many of these areas, especially trouble spots, these are socialist governments. And the unfortunate thing is, along the way, you have um, so many people who are desperate to get out of these places it's just rare i mean and, and and we need to understand this that the experiment that we're still walking out here in the united states of america it's unusual the republic that the founding fathers set out to put together it's an ongoing process So, we're quite intrigued to see what's happened in Argentina. The president-elect has vowed the end of Argentina's decline. This story, characterized by AFP, the new president coming in, characterized as a libertarian outsider. His name is Javier Malay. He swept a victory in Argentina's presidential election yesterday, vowing to halt decades of economic decline in a country reeling from triple-digit inflation. I want you to just think, just think for a moment. We've been complaining about single-digit inflation. Can you imagine triple-digit inflation? That's just life that's impossible. The self-described anarcho-capitalist pulled off a massive upset by ousting the populist Peronist coalition, which has long dominated Argentine politics. This is an earthquake. 
in Argentina. This is a big deal to have something so monumental happen. With 55% of the vote, Malay thumped his rival. Economy Minister Sergio Massa, who won 44% of the vote and rapidly conceded defeat. He saw the writing was on the wall here. Malay saying in his speech, Today begins the reconstruction of Argentina. The model of decadence has come to an end. There's no way back. Latin America's third biggest economy has suffered because of decades of crisis under interventionist governments big on welfare that resort to printing money to finance spending, fueling inflation, while borrowing heavily only to default on their debt. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. And let me just tell you something here. If we think that we are America, this can never happen. We are the most idiotic imbeciles on the planet. We are. Let me repeat this line again. Latin America's third biggest economy has suffered decades of crisis under interventionist governments big on welfare that resort to printing money to finance spending fueling inflation while borrowing heavily only to default on their debt folks the only thing that saves us i think a big part of this is the fact that we're the reserve currency. We can get away with this a little bit longer, but we cannot get away with this forever. I want to tell you a little bit more about what has been going on in Argentina. And boy, I wish these folks well. But I'm also going to include a warning, because I have a feeling that the globalists are going to try everything they can to keep this country from moving away from where it's been in the past. We'll talk about this and get your thoughts as we continue. Again, our phone number is 704-570-1110 on the Vince Coakley radio program. I want to be optimistic about the future. It was kind of interesting this morning. I had a conversation with a business person. And we were discussing, I guess, more personal things as it relates to... Families dealing with businesses and that sort of thing. But he said, you know, I've just become so cynical in my old age. (laughs) There are just some awful people out there. And I responded to him by saying, unfortunately, many of those people are in government. And I think this is the atmosphere that we find ourselves in and and I try my hardest to be optimistic about the future and hopeful that we don't turn into this but I'm I've got to tell you I'm a little concerned that in our arrogance and our greatness we can mistake this for thinking we can get away with anything and everything break every economic rule and somehow escape the consequences of stupid decisions I'm absolutely sure you have felt this. We've got that chill in the air, Charlotte. It's time for the 30th annual Hancock's Bikes for Kids. Please join the spirit of giving started by John Hancock and donate a new bike for a child in need this Christmas. We will gather on Friday, December 8th. Here at WBT and all of the WBT personalities will be on hand to say hello. Hancock's Bikes for Kids presented in partnership with WBTV. It's Friday, December 8th. 5 to 9 p.m. Sponsored by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina. Visit WBT.com for more details on this. What do you think of what I've shared thus far about what's going on in Argentina? It's pretty striking, isn't it? And one of the things I've, you know, I, I do believe there's something special about America. But I'm not arrogant enough to believe that America is going to be able to escape the consequences of 
really decades of irresponsibility. I remind you again, what got this country, Argentina, in so much trouble? Big on welfare, printing money to finance spending, fueling inflation while borrowing heavily only to default on their debt. So what else is going on in this wonderful country? Access to dollars strictly controlled, leading to a thriving black market for greenbacks. Analysts warn the peso is ripe for a sharp devaluation. Malay saying there's no room for gradualism or half measures. Malay's main platform has been a plan to ditch the ailing peso for the U.S. dollar and dynamite the central bank to do away with the cancer of inflation. I sure hope this guy has some really good security. He's going to need it. And you know what I think is funny about this? How would the mainstream news media refer to somebody like this, a right-wing extremist? Here you have a country that's turning into a freaking hellhole because of policies of borrowing, over-borrowing, over-spending. And now you have the prospect of change. And radical change is needed. And guess what? In this country, the politicians, dare I say it, the patriots, who have taken a stand and said, I'm not going to vote for this, who are called extremists and right-wingers, they're the ones who are right, aren't they? Yet the people who are spinning us into oblivion The media sucks up to them and kisses their rear ends with impunity while they destroy this country. I love this. This is my favorite line of the whole story. His main platform, a plan to ditch the ailing peso for the U.S. dollar and dynamite the central bank to do away with the cancer of inflation. I'm telling you, folks, he I'm serious about the security thing. He darn well better have some good security. If you've read The Creature from Jekyll Island and read about the tentacles of the World Bank and all of these internationalist banking organizations, these folks are dangerous. And they're not going to sit by and watch. And watch with approval. Analysts warn the country's too low on dollar reserves for the move to happen anytime soon. That's the move to the dollar. Malay saying this is the change that us young people want. I'm not afraid of Malay. I'm afraid my dad won't be able to pay his rent. The Argentine peso isn't worth a thing. This is what a 17-year-old said. A 17-year-old. I'm not afraid. Thousands of Malay supporters waved flags and chanted freedom as they celebrated outside his campaign headquarters. They get this. We're tired of Peronism. Malay is an unknown, but better a madman than a thief. Oh my, I'm going to save this story. I mean, this story is dynamite. Can I just tell you what we're dealing with? In the Republican and Democrat politicians who are robbing us blind, they are freaking thieves. They're not only robbing you, they've robbed your parents and your grandparents, and they're going to rob your grand, your children and grandchildren too, until they are stopped. They are thieves. Nacho... Laren Naga, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, he's a writer who made that comment. Malay is an unknown, but better a madman than a thief. This guy's wearing a blue and white Argentine flag as a cape. Malay, by the way, is a 53-year-old economist with wild hair, thick sideburns. He's drawn comparisons with former U.S. President Donald Trump and Brazil's Jair Bolsonaro. For his abrasive style and controversial remarks. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this guy is going to outshine both of those men. And the reason is he's getting to the root. He is getting to the root of the issue. Which we still 
are not talking about in our politics in America. Both former presidents congratulated him on social media. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Washington looks forward to working with President-elect Malay and his government on shared priorities. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'll bet you there are going to be very, very few shared priorities. You start talking about blowing up the central bank? Oh, they're not going to like this. Malay had vowed on the campaign trail to cut ties with his country's top trading partners, Brazil and China, saying he would not do business with communists. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this, is, this is rich. I love this. This guy has his eyes open, and he sees the big and real issues. He's not concerned. I don't know what the guy's doing on social media, but I don't hear any pettiness here. I don't hear any self-aggrandizement. He is going for the root. It's all in economics, folks. All in economics. Love to get your thoughts on what is happening here and what you think the prospects are. We could see the same thing here in the United States of America. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Okay, I got a dynamite quote for you. And you know one of the things I, I don't do on my social media page, by the way, if you want to connect, it's Vince Coakley on X, C-O-A-K-L-E-Y. Look for also on Facebook, Vince Coakley, the uh, profile with me behind the microphone. You can connect there. I have another page, a personal page, where I don't normally post political stuff. I try to avoid that and keep that personal. But I did something that is out of the ordinary today because I, I've i been hearing this quote before and I couldn't believe this is actually, I did a Google search and I found this quote. I'd heard it years ago and I finally saw it and I thought, oh my goodness. So I posted it because I want people to think about this monumental issue of our money and who it really belongs to. This is a little tidbit I'm going to share with you in case you did not know. Because sadly, ignorance prevails in a good part of our society. People think that our currency is printed by and owned by the United States government. It is not. Our country has been sold out to a cartel. That's what has happened. It's a cartel of banks. And the history for this is quite long. Which is the reason why I don't think the Founding Fathers would have ever allowed the Federal Reserve Act. This is one of the dumbest betrayals. And I dare say it. I, I don't mind saying this. I think what happened in 1913 was treasonous. I do. Now, having said that, I think the people who don't want to touch this issue today are cowards. The major person that I see who is a champion of this issue continuously is my good friend Thomas Massey from Kentucky. The Federal Reserve, there was an effort to audit the Fed years ago, and I think there was a I think there was a veto proof majority in the House to do that. But the Senate has never approved this. Are you ready for this quote? This quote, quote sends chills down my spine. Because I think this is a neglected issue 
in all of our political conversations, and frankly, I think many of our political conversations are a waste of breath. Are you ready for this quote? Nathan Mayer Rothschild controlled the Bank of England and boldly declared, I care not what puppet is placed upon the throne of England to rule the empire on which the sun never sets. The man who controls Britain's money supply controls the British Empire. And I control the British money supply. And I put this on my personal Facebook page. All of us need to ask the question, who owns our money supply and why? Now, I'm not going down some weird, crazy, conspiracy theory road at all. And I am not, um, you know, wearing a tinfoil hat. I'm just telling it like it is. Because what was communicated by Nathan Rothschild is right on the money. No pun intended. What matters is the money. Jabril writes in and says, The Creature from Jekyll Island is a good book that describes this cartel takeover. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and you know what's sad to me? It's not just the United States. That book, in fact, I need to find and continue. I didn't ever finish that book. It was not what I expected. I thought it was just going to reveal what happened in 1913. What was really disturbing to me was to find out the tentacles of these internationalist organizations and bankers and cartels and how they have interrupted and intervened in world events in ways that I never imagined. I'll just give you a brief example of the kind of thing that's happened. Libya? I don't care what people tell you about Libya. That was not about terrorism. That was not about anything that Muammar Gaddafi was doing. We had pretty much, I mean, this guy was under control by the time Hillary Clinton was cackling about how we killed him. This was all about stopping Libya from developing its own sound currency and setting an example for the rest of Africa. That's what he was setting out to do. He wanted an African currency that had nothing to do with the World Bank. I'm telling you folks, these people are killers. They will kill if you get in the way of their money. If you try to circumvent their control of the money supply, they will choke you out. I'm just saying, I'm just giving that as a fresh example, because that's what all that was about. It had nothing to do with terrorism or anything like that. This guy dared to go down a road of independence and dared to say, screw you, to these international controllers. Controlligarchs, as they have been described as. I've run out of time here. We have a hard break. Much more to talk about coming up in the next hour. If you had fun this hour, hey, there's more to come after a look at news. Stay with us. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. And welcome to hour number two of the Vince Coakley radio program. What do you think about that quote? A person who basically just owns the bank saying, you know what? I don't care who the political powers are. He basically says, 
I don't care what puppet is placed upon the throne of England to rule the empire on which the sun never sets. This is at the height of the British Empire. The man who controls Britain's money supply controls the British Empire. And I control the British money supply. And on my personal page, I said this. All of us need to ask, who owns our money supply? And why? Boy, this will get an interesting conversation. This is what's funny about this. Is all the silly, you know, back and forth, pro-Trump, anti-Trump. You know, we're wasting our time with this stupid nonsense. You know, the people who really are calling the shots, they're laughing. Because this, much of what's going on is just theater. And it doesn't get to the real root of anything. Because the truth of the matter is, if you get to the root of it, you're going to deal with the money stuff. And these folks know, while everybody's distracted by silliness, <laughs> they will just continue business as usual. Making a fortune, controlling everything, and laughing their rear ends off. All right, from here, I am somewhat encouraged. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned war. It, it's, it's nasty. It's messy. There's no clean war. It just doesn't exist. And so the situation we have now between Israel and Hamas, it's not going to be clean. There's not going to be some pretty settlement here. The best thing we're going to see, the best thing we're going to see is some efforts to mitigate the damage of what Hamas has done. One of the areas where our attention is still very much focused, what are we, six weeks in? Getting those hostages free. We're hearing a hostage deal may be closer. A prisoner exchange and a pause in Gaza fighting are on the table. That's what they are talking about. A deal for Hamas to release hostages taken during its October 7th attack on Israel may be the closest yet and would require a multi-day pause in the fighting in Gaza. John Feiner who is U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor, said we're closer than we've been in quite some time, maybe closer than we've been since the beginning of this process to getting this deal done. Negotiations have reached a very sensitive stage after significant progress in recent days and hours. We think it's possible, but it's not done yet. U.S. officials have been trying to broker an agreement between Israel and Hamas and believe they are close to a deal that would see at least a five-day pause in fighting and allow an initial number of at least 50 women and children captives to be released. The hope is, if an initial freezing in place to combatants and release of women and children goes smoothly, it would establish a template that would allow other groups of captives, including civilian men and Israeli soldiers, to be freed in exchange for Palestinian prisoners being held in Israel. Michael Herzog, Israel's ambassador to the U.S., told ABC, we're talking about pausing the fighting for a few days so we can get the hostages out. While Israel's military operation to dismantle Hamas will not stop, we're willing to go for a pause for a significant number of hostages if we have a deal. He was hopeful a deal will be completed in the coming days to free at least some of the hostages. A pause would have the added benefit of allowing increased humanitarian aid to Gaza residents. Having a deal that causes a pause in the fighting would make it easier to get more in faster. Senior administration officials have described the release several weeks ago of an American mother and daughter as a smaller scale template for the larger movement now envisioned. During that operation, Israel agreed to suspend firing on a specific area inside Gaza for several hours 
while the International Committee of the Red Cross took custody of the two captives and escorted them across the border to Israel. So I remain hopeful that something happens here, ideally, to get all of these hostages free. And again, I just raised the question, how many of us can imagine being in captivity like this for about six weeks? That's a long time. A long time. Hopefully their freedom is coming soon. One of the concerns we have with this heightened tension in the Middle East the possibility of terrorist attacks. House Intelligence Chair Mike Turner made an appearance on CBS Face the Nation on Sunday, and he engaged in a conversation with the host about a warning from the FBI Director Christopher Wray, warning of violent extremists in the U.S. and abroad, drawing inspiration from Hamas, and its attack on Israel. Here is that exchange as it took place yesterday on CBS. Uh, here at home, the FBI director, I know, recently testified that foreign terrorist groups, including Al-Qaeda, have issued specific calls to attack the U.S. How do you understand the threat to the homeland now? You know, this is very, uh, um, very unusual for the FBI director to so publicly make these statements. And certainly in his conversations with the Intelligence Committee, they've been on an unclassified basis. So we have the ability to talk about it. It certainly shows the extent to which uh, these threats are, are troubling the, the, the director. And what he's indicated specifically is that you know, more than a decade, uh, the increase in terrorist threats to the United States inside the United States uh, is at its highest uh, ever. And he cites... Um, you know, the, the chaotic withdrawal of Afghanistan and our loss of intelligence gathering there. Mm-hmm. He cites the southern border and individuals who are allied with international terrorist organizations that have crossed the border. You know, those are two Biden administration policies. So for the FBI director to cite those uh, where the where as, as threats, yeah. where the threats are emanating, certainly shows you how important these statements are. Very important, because, again, these do not put this administration in a very favorable light at all. And I think many would argue that the vulnerabilities that we have to terrorism, unfortunately, have been exacerbated by the policies of this administration with its border policies and also with the weakness that has been shown, as he mentioned there, in Afghanistan and elsewhere. Um, This is a, I think, a very dangerous time between now and the early part of 2025 when, please God, we get a new president in the White House who genuinely does have a priority of protecting the United States of America. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program. I don't know about you. I I think most of us, uh, most of you within the sound of my voice, have been around going back to the Carter era. From a political standpoint, again, I, I think there's pretty much universal agreement. They were years of misery economically and in many other ways. Not one of the uh, brighter times in American history. But I want to shift away from focusing on politics and looking more on the personal side. You probably have heard about the death of Rosalind Carter. She passed away at the age of 96. 96. Isn't that extraordinary? Politico says she partnered with her husband on policy and diplomacy during his presidency. One half of the longest lived presidential couple in American history, perhaps the most egalitarian as well. Rosalind was my equal partner in everything I ever accomplished. What former President Jimmy Carter said in a statement Sunday, she gave me wise guidance and encouragement when I needed it. As long as Rosalind was in the world, I always knew somebody loved and supported me. Isn't that what we all need? Just to know. That person is there for love and support. 
In May, her family reported she was living with dementia. Last week, they said she had entered hospice care. The Carter Center said she died peacefully with family by her side. Her husband, who turned 99 last month, he's been in hospice care since February. I mean, these are tough people. I mean, seriously. Carter married the the future governor and president in 1946. Widely credited with expanding the role of First Lady beyond the nation's most prominent hostess to an active partner in policy and international travel. Becoming a trusted advisor, even in an era when most newspapers would only call her Mrs. Carter. I mean, folks think this is the 70s we're talking about. Think about how much has changed. Rosalind Carter set a new precedent for First Ladies. According to E. Stanley Godwald, author of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, a biography, she established the office of First Lady, worked side-by-side side with her husband as an equal partner in most of the responsibilities of the presidency and actively pursued her own agenda to make the world a gentler place. The Carters perceived as exemplars of the New South in the 70s. A marked change from the years of George Wallace, John Patterson, Lester Maddox, and other Southern governors who thrived on rage and intolerance in support of segregation and states' rights, and who, at least some of the time, countenanced extrajudicial violence against African Americans. Jimmy Carter, as much as it was possible for an ambitious political leader to do so, projected beneficence, not bitterness. Rosalind Carter was a picture book compliment to her husband, a woman of gentle grace. It was these traits that made them much admired figures long after Jimmy Carter's thorny presidency had left his reputation nowhere to go but up. In their long post-presidential lives, she would remain by his side through public and private matters. Jimmy Carter would say, the best thing I ever did was marrying Rosalind. That's a pinnacle in my life. Isn't this a wonderful love story? You know, this this to me is one of the, uh, still to this day, when I am out and about and I see especially old couples holding hands, walking together like they are newlyweds, that warms my heart. It really does. Washington Post has a wonderful story. They actually did a revised version of this story that first was printed in 2019, four years ago. Jimmy and Rosalind Carter's marriage was longer than most presidents' lives. (laughs) How's that for extraordinary? Jimmy Carter may have served only one term before being voted out in a blowout but he still holds a number of presidential records. At 99, he's the longest living president, has had the longest post-presidential period of any commander-in-chief, and is just one of four U.S. presidents who have won the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, back in 2019, he reached another milestone, the longest presidential marriage. Carter and his wife, Rosalind, who died Sunday, were married for more than 70 years seven years that's more than the previous record from George H W Bush and Barbara Bush they were married for 73 years until Barbara's 2018 death they were married for more years than the lifespans more than half of all US presidents 25 presidents had shorter lifespans George W Bush was born the day before the Carters married (laughs) Isn't that incredible? As we mentioned, the Carters married back in 1946. When he was 21, she was 18. But they knew each other for as long as Rosalind was alive. She lived down the road in their hometown of Plains, Georgia. A frequent playmate of Carter's little sister, Ruth. In his book, 
A full life reflections at 90. Carter said he learned later that Rosalind had a crush on him for a long time and that she and Ruth had conspired for years to try to get him to notice her. <laughs> During a month-long leave from the U.S. Naval Academy 1945, Carter spent most of his time at home with another young woman, a beauty pageant winner. On his last night of leave, she was busy. Carter was driving around town with his sister and her boyfriend when they spotted Rosalind coming out of church. She agreed to go to the movies with him. <gasps> the movie house. She was remarkably beautiful, almost painfully shy, obviously intelligent, and yet unrestrained in our discussion on the rumble seat of the Ford Coupe, he wrote. Hmm. The next morning, Carter's mother asked him what he thought of Rosalind. Oh, she's the one I'm going to marry, he replied, surprising even himself. They dated over his Christmas break when she visited him in Annapolis later that winter. He proposed. She said no. We're going to tell you more about this incredible and wonderful love story as we continue the Vince Coakley radio program. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You know, it's quite appropriate <laughs> that we would have this song coming back out of the break. Because I want to tell you, Bernie, you're just brilliant. I just thought I should tell you that. <laughs> a Motown Christmas features a world-class vocal group assembled from past and present members of Motown's most legendary groups. Ali Woodson's Temptations, The Miracles, and The Contours. The vocalists are backed up by a six-piece band. It's coming up Night Theater, November 27th. So put that on your calendar uh, that sounds like a great, great show. So, check it out. Night Theater. I was telling you about this really cool love story. I'm not a, believe me, I am not a sappy person at all. But it's pretty hard not to be moved by the story of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. These are just dear people. Their love for each other is just not questionable at all. 77 years I mean, that's a long time. I left off a story in telling you about how over Christmas break, Jimmy proposed to her and she said no. Rosalind later explained in a letter that six years earlier, she had promised her father on his deathbed that she wouldn't marry until she finished college. At that point, she was a student in junior college, but had yet to graduate. She continued to date young men at her school, Ooh, playing hard to get. Carter wrote, I was distressed. He kept writing to her, calling her, letting her know he was serious. By summertime 1946, she finished junior college. He had graduated from the Naval Academy. They married July 7th. Moved into an apartment in Norfolk where Carter was stationed. Jimmy and Rosalind fought Jimmy's brain cancer together in their hometown of Plains. As the Washington Post, Kevin Sullivan and Mary Jordan wrote in 2018, they still held hands when walking down the street at the time. He affectionately called her kid. Oh, my gosh. Isn't this moving? So we share this story. Just an inspiration. And I would also say a challenge. An inspiration and challenge. In our atmosphere where we have so many people just throwing marriage away. Whether they're avoiding it altogether or that they are married and just decide to throw marriage away for some stupid frivolous reason. We have this wonderful example of faithfulness, perseverance, love, love that persevered over many years. And we're thankful for that example. 
Let's go out to a call in Clover from Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. Um, I'll I'll tell this story in brief. Um, we're from Ohio originally, but we had moved uh, in '86 and ended up in Clover, South Carolina, and we met our pastors and his family in Gastonia, and we had been with them ever since uh, the late nineties. And on one given Sunday, we, uh, went to late lunch, my wife and children and our pastors and their children. And in this, uh, restaurant, we came across a young gentleman from China. He was working there and we handed out an we made an invitation uh, to him to come join us for dinner one night, and he took us up on it, and he spoke pretty good English. He had been going to school in uh, upstate New York, and so we were getting to know him. He was getting to know us, and we ended up giving him a Bible, and for three years... Uh, he would call once a week and say, I'm available, and we'd go get him, and he'd spend time with us. He never was able to go to church because he always worked on Sundays. And so it was a remarkable relationship. It changed our lives. But eventually he had to go back to China, and he did, but he started communicating with us. It was uh, only two times, and the last one was during the Tiananmen Square event. But in that last letter, he thanked us again for introducing him to Christ. And he said, I'm traveling about uh, in different places here in China, meeting people. And he said, many people are interested to know about Jesus. So I'm trying to have a book of prayers translated to hand out to them and he gave us just a little bit of brief information and we were stunned we just we couldn't we just it was just it totally caught us off guard and we did a little research and we came up with the book and the author which was President Jimmy Carter. He compiled a book of prayers, and our friend Shi Guy came across this, and he was trying to have the book translated into Mandarin so he could hand it out to people. Wow. That's pretty awesome. That's a yeah, great story. It was, it was amazing. It just, we, we, <laughs> yeah, it was an amazing meeting. and uh, That's extraordinary. And, and again, I commend you, Jerry, and... Uh, what you were involved in and it's just another example we just have no idea these uh, simple acts that we engage in the ways that we engage people um, they can cause waves many many miles away from where we are we just don't realize the impact sometimes do we it's pretty awesome quite awesome what is this motown day bernie it's pretty good stuff here <laughs> i forgot this social media post actually message sent to me earlier in the show by faithful listener chris i'm not praying for a new president i'm praying for mercy because all the idiots that we have for candidates for office are going to run this country into the ground. <laughs> Chris, I feel you. I really do. I cannot say that I sit here just extremely confident and optimistic that we're going to deal with the things that are going to be dealt with. I mean, I, I think what we have going on is a, really a personality contest. I mean, it's this may as well be one of those elections like you have in high school. <laughs> Just my uh, never-to-be-humble opinion on this.
there are several stories that I've been, man, I've been trying to talk about these for days, and we've had just a number of things going on. What is happening, by the way? Oh. Right now at the White House, Mr. Magoo is pardoning turkeys on his 81st birthday. Can you believe this? He's 81 years old today. So, I mean, hey, as a human being, I wish him well. Hope he has a great birthday. And hope they have a wonderful feast coming up this week, just like so many of you. So, just a quick thought. I, uh, without saying a lot, because for time purposes, oh, I mentioned there are a couple of stories I wanted to get to. One of them, the economic impact of immigration. And by the way, I saw a really crazy story about what this administration is concerned about with people crossing our border. When you hear this, your head will explode. But you're going to have to wait till tomorrow. Because I will tell you tomorrow about how silly this is and how silly these people are, how not serious they are about the things that really matter. So that's coming up. What was the other story that I was also going to address? Oh, polling information on presidential candidates. Um, You know what? Why don't we just go into this? A new Marquette Law School poll. National Survey of Registered Republicans finds President Joe Biden trailing each of the top three potential Republican candidates. The new person now, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, leading Biden 55 to 45. President Trump leads 52-48. DeSantis, 51 to 49. Among likely voters... Haley sees her advantage rise to 12 percentage points at 56.44. The Biden-DeSantis hypothetical does not change with likely voters, while Trump's support decreases to 51 against Biden's 49. These results include initially undecided voters who were then asked to choose one of the candidates. Among registered Republican voters, Trump maintains a substantial lead over all others in the primary fuel for the GOP nomination, with 54% of the total. DeSantis and Haley tied at 12%. That represents a rise for Haley, decline for DeSantis since March. No other candidate has more than 4% support in the current poll. So they've seen a close race between Trump and Biden among registered voters since May with a trend that we've described here. Among likely voters in September, Biden received 51% to Trump's 49 Likely voter results not available for earlier polls. But again, all of these numbers, not a pretty picture for the current president of the United States. And we touched on really one of the major reasons that support is not there, and that is the president's age. People are very uncomfortable with the fact that we have a president who is, frankly, not just old, but clearly feeble-minded. This is not intended to be nasty or mean or rude. It's just reality. So stay tuned on this one. We'll get to the immigration story and its impact on cities, one city in particular, tomorrow. Let's take a look at the day in history. Bernie, how are you doing today? I'm good, Vince. Hope you are, sir. Not bad at all. We have a total of seven items, and we begin in 1913 when Nabisco introduced Mallow Mars. Do you even know what that is? Is it a chocolate bar? It must be. Is it like Mallow Cups? Maybe. It's like marshmallow and chocolate. Maybe I'm I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know. 1942, we just mentioned the birth of Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr., our current president, who turns 82 today. 1967, the U.S. population passed 200 million. Right now, we're at about 330 million. 1969, DDT banned for residential use. And here is your question, Mr. Bernie. This particular restaurant sold its 50 billionth hamburger in 1984. 
Which restaurant would that be? Is that McDonald's? Of course. All right. McDonald's. 1992, a fire at Windsor Castle does $50 million in damage. And in 2020, the CDC and this person, who's been much reviled, suggested Americans simply not travel for Thanksgiving. Uh, Mandy Cohen. I mean, Anthony Fauci. <laughs> You're so silly. You're absolutely right. It was Anthony Fauci. That was three years ago. It's crazy. How much are you willing to pay for a bottle of Scotch whiskey? Ooh. I don't know. I think... Uh, I don't know. Maybe What's the uh, most you would put out for a bottle? For a bottle? Whiskey? It depends on how good it is. I guess 100 bucks, maybe. You know, if it was revered whiskey... If people were like, I have to have it. How about $2.7 million? Mm, that's going to be a no for me, dog. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> a bottle of whiskey sold for $2.7 million at an auction. It's a bottle of Scotch whiskey billed as the most sought after in the world. And this person obviously has more money than sense. <laughs> So, uh, the McKellen Adami 1926 sold at Sotheby's in London after a bidding war between would-be buyers on the phone and in the room. Just 40 bottles of this 1926 beverage were bottled in 1986 after being aged in sherry casks for 60 years. 12 of the bottles, including the one sold Saturday, had labels designed for the Italian painter. So $2.7 million, and I will not drink to that at all. It's all the time we have. Every show's a great day, and God bless you. Adios.